0: Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today... Dr. Andrew Michaels has returned as promised, not only to check on the health and well-being of his patient, but also to see if you have recovered enough to hear the truth, to learn what happened to you, and to him, and all the other victims of Good Time Mary, the modern-day Medusa. Medusa.
1: Good Time Mary was a lady of the night in the uh, late 19th century in San Francisco, California. She was a very vain woman. She um, was good to her customers, but she had a strange sense of humor, and it sometimes got her in trouble. The night of her murder occurred when she was standing in front of her favorite mirror. She was combing her long hair out after servicing one of her customers. And she looked back at him getting dressed and he bent over in a funny way. And she saw his backside and she just thought he was funny looking and she just thought he was odd looking And she laughed at him. It was just a smirk and a little giggle under her breath. But he turned and he could see her making fun of him in the mirror. The man became unhinged. He thought she was slighting his manhood. His prowess. His machismo. He closed the distance across the room. And he grabbed her from behind, his hands around her neck. He was a brutal man, very powerfully strong physical specimen of a man. And with his legs braced and his arms bent, he literally lifted her off the ground by her neck. And said, if you want to look at me and make fun of me, I want you to see me suck the life right out of you. I want to see your eyes when I squeeze the life out of your body. And as she dangled in the air and scratched and clawed and stared at herself in the mirror, as her face became red, as her neck became tighter and tighter wound with his fingers just squeezing till something snapped. And she felt the essence of her body slip away and she saw him throw her down like a rag doll across the floor she saw him finish putting on his shirt and his tie and his coat and his hat and she watched him walk out of the room her body just laid there motionless, lifeless. Soon the other girls came in after they had heard all the commotion. They came to check on her and they found her deceased. Her friends cried. She watched them wipe and clean the body and wrap her up in a sheet waiting for the doctors to come. How was she seeing all this? She walked closer until she ran into the glass of the mirror. Mary was inside the mirror, that part of her that was so vain, so enthralled with her looks and her beauty, her vanity. Her hand slid across the pure silver of this ancient Mirror. It was a gift from one of her lovers from the far, far east of Europe. He said he was a nobleman, and the mirror was a family heirloom. Pure silver, he said, silvered, lined on the outside, and silver on the inside, a mirror as pure as you can make it. Your image, he said so clear that you swear you're looking into your soul and she felt like her soul was trapped on the inside of that glass and silver mirror a fog around the inside area she could see all the trappings of her room her bed her bureau her dresser her brushes, her combs, and her makeup. But as she closed in the distance inside the mirror to sit down at the edge of her bed, her bed just kept sliding further and further away in the mirror, like a mirage that she could never quite close the distance on. She could not touch anything in there, but she could touch the mirror itself, the glass prison bars, as you would say. She was trapped, her body lying lifeless and dead. Soon it was carted away. And it was days before she knew what to do with herself. But soon a girl came in the room, packed all her belongings, and sent them away to her family back east. And the next thing she knew when the lights came back on was a young girl combing her hair out. Was she a relative of Mary's? Was she just somebody who bought the possession at a sale? She couldn't tell. There was nothing to mark this girl as a relative of her. She didn't know her from her past. And she'd oddly dressed. And she kept combing her hair And one day her boyfriend came over and Mary, a voyeuristic demon in a mirror, stared at them as they canoodled, as young people do, on the foot of her bed in her bedroom. And the girl went into another room to get some laundry or to answer a request of her mother's and left the boy in the room alone. He walked over, and he brushed and fixed his hair with his fingers. In the mirror, he looked, and he could see Mary. She knew he could see her. He walked over to a table and picked up a funny lamp with a cord on it. An electric lamp. Something new, newfangled. And he pulled the shade off the lamp. Put it up to the mirror so he could see more brightly lit into the deep, dark recesses and shadows inside the mirror. And when he did, his body collapsed. The lamp fell and crashed onto the floor, the bulb breaking across the floor. He was standing, looking at Mary looking at him. His hands came up and they passed through the mirrored glass. He moved around like a frightened, shocked child, running around the room, unable to touch anything. Finally, Mary, trying to calm him down, she walked up and put her hands on the boy's shoulders, Oh, I can touch you. I can touch you. And as her hands clasped the boy's shoulders, she felt her hands sliding across the scalp of his head, running her fingers through his beautiful locks of hair. And as she did, lines appeared on the boy's face. She was pulling the fear that terror of him being trapped in that mirror. All those emotions trapped up inside. The frightened little deer stuck in the headlights of a car. She was pulling those emotions out of his body. She was absorbing them. She was feeding on them like a vampire sucking the blood from a victim. She let go in fear Of what she had done, he collapsed on the floor, weakened, reached out and tried to push his way through the glass, silvering in front of him to escape the mirror, and his hands couldn't touch anything. He couldn't touch the floor or feel the floor, yet he stood. He tried to lay down and feel his way around. There was nothing. He tried to climb the walls, but he couldn't reach them. Tried to touch the objects that he could see inside the mirror that matched those on the outside, but as Mary couldn't touch them and they faded like mirages further and further from your grasp, he had the same problem, and all this made him despair. It was like he was a beacon of energy, and she walked up behind the boy, almost as the man had killed her those days or weeks or months before. And she closed her hands around his neck and slid them down his strong, supple shoulders, his muscular frame, and she pulled more and more energy from him. And this went on, and the more she did it, the more he aged, and the more he aged, the more he faded. She watched them haul his body from the room. He watched the girl cry night after night. One day, she lit a candle. Her friends were there. They performed a seance. One of the girls bravely walked over to the mirror, and placed it off the wall, and now onto to the table in front of them. They used a Ouija board, disc, summoned the boy's soul, and one of the girls looked down with a candle closer and closer and said, I can see them, I can see them in the mirror, and as she brightly illuminated the mirror, as they glided the Ouija board tool across the mirror's face, I can see them and she... Then trapped in the mirror herself Her body slumped over the mirror The candle rolling across the table Onto the floor Almost catching her gown On fire They pulled her limp body back Put out the flames of the candle Called their parents The father went to strike the mirror But his wife held him back can't do that. We need a priest to look at it. And they showed it to a priest, and he cursed it. He threw holy water at it. He prayed over it. He broke wafers over it. He did communion in front of it. Nothing worked. And as the years passed on, the cursed mirror good time Mary found its way in the vaults of a museum far away from prying eyes and silly teenagers trying to raise the dead and pull them from this mirror one day a curious curator late late in the 20th century asked someone in San Francisco if they knew about the legend and story of the cursed mirror and the story of good time mary the museum that he wrote to did in fact know about it and asked if they could get the mirror back and advertise it for one of the annual parades of san francisco they were doing the legends of the city And all the historic and weird cryptids, supernatural creatures, and the paranormal, all the eccentric characters of San Francisco were going to be characterized. And they thought it might be neat to include that in a news story to promote their annual parade. The museum was glad to be rid of the piece, boxed it up, and sent it back to its original home. Very little occurred with the mirror. Nobody ever put it together. No one ever realized how people got trapped in it or why. Or even if the stories were true. And years went by. And then in the year 2019, a curator was cleaning the mirror. It was quite in need of repair. And the curator was doing very fine work on the layers of silver that edged the mirror it was very ornate and they had to get in there with a q-tip and chemicals to clean the silver he could almost feel like somebody was looking at him after all it was a cursed mirror and it was very frightening to him to even work that close on it lean over it lay on it Sometimes he caught himself putting weight on it, and it was chill across his soul. He didn't like it. He didn't like working on it. But he kept having this nagging feeling working so closely to it that somebody was looking at him, or they could see him. But the mirror was older now. It was in some disrepair from not being kept in a good environment. And that's why it needed such cleaning to bring it back to life. He had almost finished the job. And he decided that he wanted to check. So he got a very bright light. A work light. And he leaned it over the mirror. And he brought it in close. And with that and the headlamp that he was using, he started to work around the edge of the mirror, making sure he didn't miss any spots. And that was when he collapsed over the mirror. And that's when the museum called me, Dr. Andrew Michaels. They asked me to investigate the collapsed curator and help them figure out what to do. They knew something was up and they had hung the mirror up and were waiting for me to arrive. The fear was if you broke the mirror, whoever was trapped inside would eventually die. You would kill their soul. I told them to just wait until I arrived, and then we would take a closer look at it. I arrived, and with a security guard, the museum's president of services, and one of the fellow curators, a nice lady named Nancy, we observed the mirror. We checked over the man's work records and his logs of working on it. And then we inspected the mirror hanging physically on the wall. It was a beautiful antique silver mirror of Eastern European design. I wasn't sure if it came from Bulgaria or Romania. I always get those countries mixed up. But I knew it was somewhere deep in Eastern Europe. In a far-off land, in a far-off time, what possessed this man? Maybe he was a thief, and that's how he paid for Mary's services, or maybe he was a grateful royal member of royalty that just wanted to pay her back for her good deeds, regardless, she came in possession of it honestly, it was her mirror. it was a beveled glass, kind of like a rounded glass mirror. And it had pure silver painted on the back, smoothed over like glass. And it was the finest quality silver. It was such a reflection. It was so beautiful. And the edge of the mirror was so ornate. And the man had done a wonderful job cleaning and restoring the piece. There was nothing strange about the back of it. It was attached like any other mirror to the frame. And it was, like I said, a wonderful piece. A very valuable antique. And it had such a story in history It would be a shame to do anything to it I did suggest That they allowed me With the lights off to look at it And we would apply different types of light to it And I would use goggles And different types of instruments to measure it and after a while We could sense some kind of Energy in the mirror And as I peered in Closer and closer in the mirror I could, I could almost see The Curator From the photos they provided, it was like I could see him looking out at me. And there was a beautiful, long, brunette-haired woman standing behind him, smiling. So beautiful. She had the look of a woman from an ancient time gone by. And I thought, is that Mary I'm seeing in there? And I could see others. Like ghostly images. Just... But I wasn't sure what I was looking at. I told the three people with me, the security guard and the curator, that there is a rumor or a theory that things like this can't stand up to the light of day, literally. It might be a supernatural being, like a shadow creature. And this shadow creature is feeding, literally, off of the curator's soul. I was actually very close to the truth. When emotions and souls and all these things are involved, you can almost smell a shadow person lurking in the deep, dark blackness of the night. And I was pretty much on target. So I thought as arrogantly as I was that I would just take a nice, bright light that mimicked the sunlight... The sun's ultraviolet lights and the radiation from the sun literally uh in a handheld device and i would just blast it into the mirror and that would destroy this creature push it back into the shadows push it away and release the curator's soul the other three stood there watching and said well that's very interesting concept they'd never heard of it before it sounded ridiculous but they said, well, sunlight affects vampires. Why wouldn't it affect other creatures of the night? And they made a good point. And I said, well, in a way, Mary is an emotional vampire. Not a blood-sucking fiend like you're used to seeing in the movies. More of a emotional, psychic vampire. But for some reason or another, she's trapped in this mirror just like the curator. So pulling him out will probably kill her, but I've used this technique before with this kind of light that simulates the sun. It'll be unfortunate, but there's a man's life at stake. This poor man is lying in a hospital in a horrible coma, and he's going to fade away and die soon if we don't correct the situation. They allowed me to do my experiment and turn on the light. They all watched intently with me. Closing in the distance to see what was going to happen next. As I shined the light directly into the mirror. I could start to see the curator in the back of the mirror coming forward. His hands waving. Almost like he was trying to tell us a message. And even behind him, Mary, coming in closer and closer. I could see every detail of like, I was looking at a high-resolution 1080p television set. It was an amazing image. Were they real? What was I looking at? What was I seeing? And the next thing I know, I was looking out at my body, crumpled up, lying on top of Nancy, the curator, the security guard, and the president of the museum, all in a crumpled bunch on the floor, I had dropped the light, and it spun across the floor, still aimed at the mirror. Our bodies lying on the floor, comatose, I turned and saw Mary, the security guard, and the president of the uni- of the museum. All of us standing there with this strange woman in 19th century night clothing, beautiful hair, her lips so red. Everything was black and white, but she had a slight rosy color to her skin, her lips, her cheeks. She was quite alluring and a beautiful figure a little more etched out than us. You could see the tips of her fingers as she raised up her hand and smiled and waved to us. Nancy ran to grab the trapped curator, her friend, and they passed literally through each other. They couldn't touch each other. The curator said, We can't touch anything. We're ghosts. We're soulless ghosts. The bright light trapped me in here. And that's when I realized my mistake. I turned to Mary and she laughed at me. Oh, how I've been waiting for you, she told me. I've been waiting for you, fair doctor. You're so wise, so smart. You murdering wretch, she called me. Why is it men always have to prove their powers by murdering others? She knew of me and I asked her how and she told me that the legend of who I was was traveling through the community of her people and they were prepared for me. She awakened her powers and lured the curator into being trapped inside the mirror in hopes that I would come would summon me an expert on the paranormal so that she may trap me as well knowing I would shine the brightest of lights on the mirror the mirror that's the trick I said the mirror blocks the light from hitting you the silver of the mirror protects you as much as holy silver protects us from a werewolf and she laughed You have figured it out too late, doctor. And if this mirror is broken with you inside it, if they panic and try and free you that way, you'll split into a million pieces and your soul will die, right along with me. And she cackled and laughed. We were trapped. All my little tricks that I had learned for dealing with the shadow people, for pushing the paranormal back into the shadows, had backfired on me. My arrogance had overtaken my wisdom. I didn't do enough research on the legend, or I would have known that bright lights coming too close to the mirror allowed the image to brighten to the point where it opened a portal between you In the realm of these shadows, now I'm trapped in there with Good Time Mary and these four other unfortunate souls. And the curator, who had only been in here a few days, was so old and decrepit, and there were many other victims too. Mary had so many trapped, some of them the bodies had long since died. Others were janitors or beggars or vagabonds that had snuck into the museum or unfortunately heard about the legend and tested it when nobody was looking. Were they still alive? I don't know. But there they were, shadows, literally ghosts of themselves, old, crippled, bent over, sore brittle everything you would describe a 150, 200 year old man's body you couldn't even tell a woman from a man when they got that old they were just a frail crippled up arthritic mess and Mary just loved to see them more and more frightened we did what everybody did we compared notes we ran around the room we tried to talk Everything faded from our fingertips. We were truly ghosts. We couldn't touch each other. We couldn't touch anything in there. Mary walked up. She had the most gorgeous nightgown on. And she had a beautiful brooch on. And rings on her fingers. Earrings. She was always decked out. A woman who was vain beyond belief. Even while she was fooling around with her customers, she always looked like a lady, always decked out to the nines. She said, do you like my appearance? Do you love my makeup? My trappings of femininity? Some vampires lure you in with their beauty, and I do too. But this mirror protects me from the light that would kill them and I, with a single stroke of the light, we die. But in this case, I am protected by the same pure silver that you use against us. Protects me from your magic as well, Dr. Andrew Michaels. <laughs> Search in vain all you want, but you'll die in here with me. And my people will come and find me. And I will be a queen among them for killing the evil one that you have become to us. I held my tongue. And I held my arrogance in check. Nancy started crying, staring out. Of the mirror, trying in vain to reach out through the silver, her hands fading as she tried to touch the glass of the mirror. I walked up and tried to console her. She was beyond consoling and was becoming hysterical. She wasn't the only one. So was the security guard. He didn't sign up for this. I finally got Mary's attention and told her to just calm down and keep experimenting. There might be some way out somebody hasn't discovered yet. And I said, you have to calm down to the security guard. Because the more anguished he became, the more of a prize he was for Mary. She slowly closed in on him, waiting for the moment to feed upon his anguish and his emotions. She wasn't as hungry having a recent victim and the curator, but oh, how she wanted to feed on that security guards. Insane emotions totally not in check. I tried to get him to calm down. I told him, look, our bodies are still breathing. We're still alive. We just have to find our way out. He was unbearable, unable to calm down for a moment. And that's what I noticed Mary walked up, seeing him, reaching out, his hands unable to touch anything, unable to touch a single thing. I looked around the room, everybody probing, ghosts in a ghost room, unable to touch anything. There was no escape. We looked like a bunch of blind fish bumping into the walls of an aquarium not knowing what side was up or what side was even down. The light from my lamp shining so brightly but a million miles away with that lining of silver between us There was no escape. I had no idea what to do. And this tempting, tasty treat between me and Mary just kept going on and on. Blithering idiot. Crying, screaming. Wailing like a child. The security guard was becoming unhinged. And he was such a desirable feast for Mary, she couldn't hold back anymore. And she walked forward and she placed her hands on his shoulders. And that's when I realized she could touch him, she could touch us. We were walking through each other. We couldn't touch the furniture. We couldn't touch the glass. But she could touch us. She was real. Our eyes met. She saw the look in my eyes. She actually turned to me and looked like she was going to mouth the word what. But before she could... I lashed out, grabbed the necklace around her neck. I ripped the brooch free from her neck, and it came off in my hand. I was holding something real in my hand a small metal brooch in my hand. She screamed bloody murder. She lashed out at me and scratched at my face and my eyes. She tried to pull the necklace from my hand. I turned, faced the silvered backing of the mirror. I took the brooch, strong as her or with all of the adrenaline that a soul could possibly have in the nether realms of the universe. I don't know which... I reached past her and scratched the silver backing of the mirror from the inside. And I scratched a hole in that silvered mirror. The light from my lamp, still pointing at the surface of the glass, bled through the crack in the silver backing and burst into her living space it was like a laser beam and it cut through her like a knife she screamed in pain and horror and leapt away from me like a demon she crawled the walls and the ceiling of her room and slid back into the recesses of the cavernous hole in reality I've never seen anything like that in my life and my ears rang with tinnitus from her scream so loud it was buried into my soul everybody had their hands on their ears and they were in pain almost like they were bleeding out of all the orifices of their face. With my energy feeling like it was ebbing, I reached up into the light where I had already scratched the space, and I scratched it down again, widening the hole in the mirror. When I did that, I found myself standing, looking in the mirror. I looked down at my hand. The brooch was gone. I must have dropped it. I looked up into the mirror. There was a gap now, and where the gap was, it was burning the reality that was Mary's home all these years. It was burning a hole through that reality. But around it, were my friends from the museum nancy was looking at me and i was looking at her she reached down into the ground below her below her feet yes she couldn't touch the ground she couldn't touch anything but she came back up with the brooch in her hand a smile edged across her lips and she looked at me, reached up to where I had scratched and added to it. This time she hit it. She struck the glass much in the same way somebody would with, with the fury of trying to rescue a child from a locked hot car. The mirror split from the strike on the inside and a chunk of the silver backing tore off the mirror the size of a silver dollar when it did a burst of light erased whatever I could see inside Mary's world and suddenly all of the people inside the mirror were gone Nancy was coughing The security guard was gasping for air Rolling away from the piled bodies Trying to get to his feet And the president of the museum was standing up They were crying out Cheers to God and heaven above for their rescue Mary looked down at her hand The metal was gone I said it's still in there But we're all free I walked back and turned the lamp off and then I walked back to the mirror and I used a very small light a lamp that was on my helmet at its lowest setting and I held it back with my hand as to not trigger the magics of the mirror and I looked around to see if Mary was still there there was a hole literally burned through the room we were trapped in. It was like her reality was bent and twisted and warped. We had burned a hole literally into her shadow world. I found her finally cowering in the corner, in a fetal position, burnt, hurt, crying, shaking, shivering, Almost like she was in a seizure fit. She looked up from her crying at me. And she said a curse to me. A curse I will not repeat here. For your ears. And before I could repeat anything back or make another action. Suddenly, something broke my eye line. Mary's. It was Nancy. She had ripped the mirror completely from the hooks that held it on the wall. She turned around and walked over to the corner of a large oak desk in the back of the room, held the mirror by the edges of the frame, and smashed it down on the corner of the desk, shattering it into twenty or thirty pieces. She said, you're done. That's never happening to anybody I know again. The anger that Nancy expressed had broken the spell. A scream was emitted into the room. Whatever was Mary was burned up and released into the light. Of the room we were standing in. She was no longer safe in her prison. I made sure everybody was okay. I checked on the patient at the hospital. We searched out other comatose people in the area and parts of the country to see if anybody miraculously sprung back to consciousness the same time we did, and we did find a few. The victims of Good Time Mary were coming back to life. Their stiff, comatose bodies would need a lot of rehabilitation, but hopefully we could bring them all back to a normal life now that they were cured, now that their consciousness was back in their bodies for good. I took the pieces of the mirror back to Chicago, back to my labs. I had a very special assistant work on the mirror. I didn't want to assemble it. I wanted to make sure we picked all the pieces up. When Nancy slammed it down, there was a chance, just a small sliver of a chance, pardon the pun, that a piece of the mirror wasn't collected. And we had to account for every speck of that silvered mirror to make sure nobody ever used it for nefarious purposes again. That nobody ever tried to use it to trap somebody like our Medusa friend Mary had done for all so many years. And as we gathered up the pieces and put them back together, my assistant would scrape and use chemicals to remove the silver backing So it was no longer a mirror anymore. It was just an old ancient piece of beveled glass. And he would put the collected pieces of silver in a container. And he would send them down to a part of the lab where we could smelt the silver, deform it, destroy it, mix it with other metals so it wasn't as polished anymore. And then we could dispose of it properly in the bottom of a deep dark mineshaft. I walked in. The room was very dark. This man worked in literally total darkness. He was a wonderful associate of mine. He did everything by touch. It's good to have a blind worker because the blind see the world in such a different way. They see it through their other senses with his tactile feelings in his fingers, his skills at Braille, he was perfect for making sure all the silver backing was gathered up from the mirror. The right man for the right job. I learned a lot about arrogance by battling Good Time Mary and I hope I learned a lesson from it. I also learned The shadow people knew about me by name and knew me very well. And I knew they were looking for me. Like a slow train rolling down the tracks. Towards me, I couldn't escape the light of the engineer's lamp. I had to be smarter in the future. I couldn't let my arrogance My wisdom or my knowledge. Get ahead of me. Common sense was going to keep me alive. As much as my smarts. And I needed to put a team together. Because things. Were heating up. In this war. Between the paranormal. And my world. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And I can't wait to see you again soon. Until I see all of you again, please have a most blessed day. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirado de Juego. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com/slash The theme song Atlantis is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests may be sent to tirardahoyal at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.